0: Welcome to SpyHards Declassified. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam
1: the Provocateur. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> vroom, vroom, indeed. Yes, Declassified,
0: we bring you the latest intel straight from our mysterious spy network. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. But this week, we are kicking it into overdrive and uh, racing along the race course to bring you our thoughts on Fast 9, F9, the
1: Fast and Furious 9. I'm not sure which one it is, Cam. The Fast and Furious Saga Part 9? I have no idea. This is the most confusingly titled uh, series possibly ever. Um, the Halloween one's pretty uh, wonky as well, where you have three movies in the franchise called Halloween. Really? Yeah, you have the original... You've got the Rob Zombie, you know, um, reboot or remake or whatever. And then you also have the more recent one, the 2018 film, also called Halloween. This is still confusing, I think. This is actually more confusing uh,
0: because not only is this named different things in different countries, because here it's advertised as F9. On IMDb, it says Fast 9. I don't know what you got in Canada. F9. F9. Okay. Okay. well, I suppose before we pile into our thoughts about the film, maybe we should talk about the Fast and Furious saga, as they like to call it, as a whole. Sure, we're going to tackle these films eventually properly in in a full length, in depth episode by episode. We're probably going to start from five or six because that's where the spy stuff really starts to kick in, and yeah. five is probably one of the better ones. Um, but as I said, this is a declassified episode, so it's our fresh thoughts from seeing it in the theaters. But you know, what do you think of the the sort of Fast franchise?
1: So it's a franchise that for me, I'm not the world's biggest fan. I feel like it's a series that's always aspiring to be a three-star movie. Like, every movie you're like, come on guys, let's get to that three-star level. And some of them get there, a few of them get a little higher. And that's a miracle. But by and large, they're movies that I walk out of and go like, yep, that was definitely a movie that I just watched. But... There's a couple I really do enjoy, and when we actually cover the series, you know, across the board, there's a few I think that we're going to highlight and really talk about how maybe they elevated what the franchise aspires to, Um, but uh, by and large, yeah, like, I I tend to find, especially, like, the last one, Fate of the Furious, I thought was really poor. Um, I thought, like, Too Fast, Too Furious was, you know, okay. Uh, I remember the fourth one thinking it was pretty weak, Um, so it's, I don't know, like, it's been a fascinating franchise in that the first four uh, or three... Uh, wait, uh,
0: a fast in
1: Yes! Thank you, thank you. But just the way it started as sort of a point break riff and stuck to this sort of, you know, crime cop type of story. And then with like part five-ish onwards, turned into this globe uh, hopping spy series. Really strange. Very strange. What about you? Strange is Probably a good word
0: for it. I uh I remember watching the early ones and I quite enjoy you know, racing films, car films, that sort of in that in that genre. I don't mind heist films, they kind of have that edge to it as well. So the first ones are quite fun. I actually have a lot of love for Tokyo Drift of all things, even though the acting is fairly abysmal in that film. It looks really nice.
1: It's a again, you know, the original was sort of a point break knockoff, whereas the third one, Tokyo Drift, was like the karate kid. Hmm. Yeah,
0: Um, But, you know, the the Fast franchise, I don't like calling it that. It feels like it's like a trademark thing that I have to pay money to say. The Fast Mm. franchise. Anyway. Vin Diesel's going to come for you. Yeah. Start talking about family or something. Um, (laughs) The Fast franchise has been something that's like flirted with becoming a parody. More and more with its films as they go along. And I've been on the journey with them, sort of enjoying seeing how close they can get. Like Icarus to the Sun. And I will get to my thoughts on this film in a minute, Fast 9. But I think up until 8, it managed to somehow walk that line of being entertainment schlocky nonsense and not pushing itself too far where it had thoroughly jumped that shark. Um, you know, you, you walk into these films and it don't you shouldn't really expect a character-driven, you know, deep story. It's, it's literally Fast Cars and spy stuff. It's like Mission
1: Impossible without a plot yeah i've referred to it as mission impossible dumb a few times in my life and um it is something that i mean i mostly show up for them just for the set pieces you hope for some you know playful camaraderie between the cast the humor and the jokes i always find really bad like painfully bad um it's not even like jokes I could write, because that's one thing, um, you know, friend of the show, Tyler Orton, he often talks about how he hates jokes where he can see the punchline coming because he could write it. Like, that's not the sign of good comedy. I feel with the Fast movies, though, I couldn't write the jokes because they're so bad that even what I would think would be an acceptable punchline would be too good for the jokes they tell in these movies.
0: Are you saying Jason Statham carrying a baby through an airplane while shooting bad guys uh.
1: isn't comedy gold? Oh, don't remind me. So, again, it, it sort of relies on just the goodwill of the cast. And the fact is, these are all one-dimensional characters. Um, They don't really ever... <laughs> I don't think any of them have ever quite hit two dimensions, but we really hope they will one day. Um, Again, it's just about charisma and set pieces. And so, I tend to find the strength of the movies depends for me on how good the set pieces are and if there's enough of them to keep the energy moving because some of the movies, I remember thinking that the last one fate of the furious felt like a slog in a lot of parts. Like it just kind of didn't have the energy I was really looking for. And it just felt like a little too bloated. Um, we'll talk about fast nine in a second. <laughs> well, I mean, I thought by bloated, you meant Vin Diesel. Mm. Well, that's the thing. Vin Diesel has gotten more and more creative control of this franchise as well. And I think Vin Diesel is a fascinating man. I don't understand what he <laughs> wants to create for the world. Um, it's this bizarre franchise that, as you said, it sort of walks the line of parody, of self-parody. And, like, I'm down for that. I kind of like that it knows it's goofy. Like, it's writing to be goofy. And that that's cool. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, he's like very morose, serious Dom stories. Very clearly Vin Diesel wants to explore the torment, the inner anguish of Dom Toretto, a one-dimensional character with nothing to say. It's insane. And there's like weird, like Jesus pose type stuff in these movies. And like, there's a lot of martyr complex stuff with Dom Toretto. Again, uh, Vin Diesel has an, um, an insane amount of control over the franchise. So I'm just fascinated as, like, these movies being sort of a glimpse inside the head of this man.
0: I, I noted something down uh, after I watched the film, because I watched it
1: in, in a theatre. As did you, actually. So welcome back to theatres, Cam. Yeah, you know what? One day people are going to ask me, what was the first movie you saw, you know, after the lockdown it sort of ended? And I'll be like, don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I never went back. Yeah. <laughs> You can't go back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One thing I made a note of as I was leaving the theater was I find it odd that his character of Dom Toretto, and I suppose this is maybe going to go into our thoughts on the film afterwards,
1: is slowly becoming Xander Cage. Xander Cage is more fun, though. Um, Xander Cage lives a high life and does crazy things and seems to genuinely enjoy just this kind of debaucherous lifestyle in a lot of ways, whereas I don't think Dom gets joy from anything. Um, he seems actively miserable almost all the time, except for when he's maybe, like, I don't know, showing his kid how to, like, work on an engine. He seems like he kind of enjoys that. He also seems just tickled to be sitting next to Helen Mirren. Beyond that... Dom Toretto seems like a pretty boring guy to be around. Like He just seems like he grumbles and is miserable a lot.
0: Well, I, I think he just seems to be it's becoming more and more wacky with his abilities. Much like Xander Cage is a
1: superhero, more or less. Uh, Dom Toretto has now become God. Is Dom Toretto your favorite Vin Diesel character? Because he's got three iconic ones. I'm curious which one is sort of your favorite of the three. And I'm also speaking of Riddick, of course.
0: Yeah, I think Riddick is my choice. Yeah. Uh, of uh, of his performances, I find him more interesting in the Riddick saga or whatever that's called. Um, yeah, Pitch Black, I really enjoyed watching. Uh, but I also really enjoyed the first couple of the Fast and Furious films. Maybe not the latter of any of these entries, to right. be fair. Same with Xander
1: Cage. Yeah, I, I tend to fall down on the Riddick side as well. I just kind of like that sci-fi world he created. I think it's amazing that Judi Dench was in The Chronicles of Riddick. That to me is just amazing. Um, I, I kind of admire that those movies failed. Like, they're ambitious failures. Chronicles of Riddick is an incredibly weird movie that could have only been made because Vin Diesel was so successful, especially at that point in time. That movie would never happen at any other point. And, like, the third one, Riddick, is a fun movie, but you can tell it's much lower budget and they're just much more limited in what they can do. Chronicles of Riddick is an insane movie, and I would actually recommend people don't watch the theatrical. Watch the director's cut. It's a little better.
0: Well, I think we've danced around the subject cam. I think we should pump the nitrous and really get into F9. Yeah. I really want to hear from you because, as, as we said before, this is your first time back in the theaters. I want you to lead us this one. I want you to take point.
1: Yes. Okay. So I found this movie, it grabbed me pretty quickly and that I thought its bookending set pieces were really strong. The drive through the jungle through a minefield right off the top of the movie, I was like, oh man, this is really fun stuff. I'm really, you know, Justin Lin has come back to direct this film. He had done, um, well, Tokyo Drift up until the sixth one. He did the sixth one and then left. Did Star Trek Beyond and um, James Wan did seven. F. Gary Gray did eight. Um, I think Justin Lin is really good at assembling these set pieces to actually have a certain amount of momentum. They are cartoonish. Ridiculous things are happening. You know, cars are swinging from like ropes from rope bridges. And it's totally Looney Tunes. But I feel like um, Justin Lin knows how to stage them in a way where they may not be suspenseful But they are played out to max, like, applause from the crowd kind of moments. Like, they have a certain momentum to the action scenes. And so, like, after that sequence, I was like, okay, I'm back on board. Like, I didn't care for Fate of the Furious. There was really no excitement going into a nine after watching Fate of the Furious for me. Uh, But I was like, okay, I'm on board. And then the movie just kind of lost me a lot in its narrative. Both because it was so convoluted it was confusing... But also, just because I found, like, so much of this movie is flashbacks. So much of it is about Dom Toretto and this relationship with his brother. And this is, like, real soap opera. And Fast has always kind of done soap opera storytelling. I don't hold that against it. But when you're going into all this backstory about a brother who clearly never existed until this movie, you kind of roll your eyes. But it better pay off. And I found, like, John Cena for me. And this is kind of centering on my point of the movie. Because I'll say, you know, I thought the stuff at the end was fun, too. I thought the set pieces were were strong in this movie. But this movie revolves around this whole John Cena plot. And I've liked John Cena in a lot of movies. And all he does is just kind of glower through this movie. And I didn't find him fun. And so, like, the core of the movie, the Dom and and Jacob relationship, was just two guys glowering. Like, Vin Diesel, you're not going to get a lot of emotion out of him. And John Cena, a guy who I've seen be a lot of fun in a lot of movies, is also playing it real clamped down. So I just felt like the core really lost me and the movie just began to drag because I just didn't really care about that relationship that was clearly an invention just for this movie. Because people like Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham checked out of this one. It felt like, okay, we need to introduce some heavy hitters again. Let's create a convoluted backstory to work in another superstar that will hopefully pay off in the next two movies. And there's more plot stuff I want to get to, but what about your thoughts?
0: It's a real struggle for me with this one, because as I sort of alluded to in the beginning, this franchise walks the line of being parody. And I think this is the one that went too far. Mm -hmm. I think this is the one that burnt up in the sun for me. I, I didn't like the set pieces as much in this one. I felt they were far too cartoony. Uh, You know, there was a lot of CG usage, whereas there was less in previous entries, although there was still a ton. The last one, the last one had a lot of CG. Yeah, Yeah, there was definitely a lot of CG in the last one, but I feel like there was less than there was in this one. And I feel like it's been this genuine progression to this point where the scenes don't have weight anymore. It, It feels like there's barely any physical things on a set. A car driving on a road, you can feel that. When it's a CG car, you can't feel it anymore. It doesn't have this sort of, well, I use the term weight. And it loses it. And not only does that do that, the film also does things like it goes to space. Which is, I mean, that's a meme at this point. People were making jokes when Fast 8 came out. Or Fate of the Furious, sorry. I guess they're going to go to space next. And lo and behold, they're in space. Now, they could have done it in a smart way and had like, oh, they went into orbit like Jeff Bezos. But no, 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 they went into space and docked to the ISS. Sure, but <laughs> I I'm, I'm not invested anymore. I I I like Justin Lin. I like Star Trek Beyond. I like his work in like Community. He's done loads of stuff that I really enjoy, but I I didn't I cared nothing about the characters in this film. John Cena was again. I agree with you. John Cena's great, and I'm a wrestling fan. I certainly used to be. I spent a lot of time watching John Cena, and I know he can act, and I'm really excited to see what he does in the upcoming Suicide Squad film, but in this. I got nothing from him. He was just there. I I was utterly bored for these two hours. I was checking my watch at regular intervals. I was very disappointed. I
1: also get really tired of this trope they keep going to of introduce a superstar actor, make them the villain for the whole movie, Mm -hmm. but then set it up for them to be the hero in the next one. It's like we saw this with Jason Statham. Um, We've seen this a couple times. We even saw this with Michelle... The Rock. The Rock. Michelle Rodriguez, when they brought her back as sort of a villain... It's like, okay, guys, you can only go to that well so many times before we just get impatient. Because it's very clear this movie is not going to end with a Vin Diesel, like, running over his brother. Like, that's just not going to happen. And I just found myself playing the waiting game of, like, okay, get to the point. And Charlize Theron, you know, her character Cypher shows up again. It's very clear Charlize Theron shot her footage in probably, like, two or three days or something like that. And it's, it's... Very clear early on. So I don't hold that against the movie, but it feels like without her there, you don't have a compelling villain because you never take John Cena, you know, very seriously as the villain. Well, yeah, because John
0: Cena's character, as you alluded to, he is playing Dom's brother um, and he's uh, jealous. That's, That's what it boils down to. He's jealous of somehow Dom. Yeah. I don't know why he would be, but he is. And so... You don't, I mean, the best villains are ones that you can sort of understand their point of view. You don't understand, or maybe you understand, but you will never be on the same side as John Cena. Yeah. He's annoying and whiny and also a big, muscly dude that you're super jealous of anyway. So you, you are not on his side. He's just an annoyance that you know your your heroes are going to overcome. And not only that, like you said, it also has a problem where it, much like it has with The Rock, much like it did with um, Deckard Shaw.
1: They, You know he will become a good guy by the end. Yeah.
0: And so you're just waiting for
1: it to happen. Especially when you hear news reports that Dwayne Johnson won't be doing any more films with Vin Diesel. You're like, they need John Cena now. Like, they need to boost that cast back up. Because, again, like, I, I would imagine Jason Statham will pop back up in the main franchise. But, um... They well, did. Well, in the post-credits scene, yeah. But that also could have been, like, a setup for Hobbs and Shaw too. I have no idea. Like, uh, yeah, it's it feels like he'll come back. But this film does feel like it's missing a compelling adversary for the group. And they do throw in another guy uh, named Otto, played by Thu Ersted Rasmussen. But he's also played as kind of a bumbling joke, so you don't take him seriously as a villain. So I don't expect, like, three-dimensional, you know, villains in these movies. I'm not expecting a super compelling figure. But just give me someone where the end game doesn't feel entirely predictable. That's sort of the problem for me.
0: Another issue I had, if, we, if we're going sort of get into this really, is there's this running commentary throughout the film by um, the Roman character about them being superheroes and they're being invulnerable and pointing out basically the ludicrous nature of their evolution from stealing DVD players to here, <laughs> which... I feel like the writer, um, and I'll point out, the writer of this film, uh, Justin Lin and Daniel Casey shared uh, co-writing credits, didn't write the previous films. The writer had been the same since, I think, the second or the third one. Yeah,
1: it was uh, Chris Morgan. Yeah, Chris Morgan, who did, he wrote Hobbs and Shaw. I would have to imagine he'll probably be writing the two-part, part part ten. Is it even a two-parter or is it just 10 and 11? I don't even know. But uh, I, I don't even know. Basically, the Aven- the Avengers Infinity War endgame of Fast and Furious movies is on the way. I would have to imagine he's probably doing that because he has been the shepherd of this franchise all along. So, I would hope so because, as I was saying, with the Roman joke
0: or observation, it's almost as if they wrote this in to uh, absolve themselves of the sins. To go, look, we're aware how silly this is. Look, look, we're making fun of it. Ha, ha, ha. But that doesn't do it. All they're doing is saying they're aware of how stupid this is. Anyway, here's stupid stuff. And that just rubbed
1: rubbed me the wrong way, I have to say. I was okay with it, but it's also not dealt with in a way that's particularly funny. It's not that clever. (laughs) It's more just like a character commenting on it and someone just being like, no, that's ridiculous. Okay, whatever. Um. I don't mind the meta commentary on it because you might as well at this point. Like there's nothing to take seriously anymore. Uh, We've seen characters Mm. just like flying all over the screen, landing on the hoods of cars. No one is ever injured in any way, shape or form. It's like, okay, clearly gravity doesn't really work in this franchise. I'll go with it. But it doesn't feel like they also want to do anything interesting with that. I, I it's just such a weird franchise, and that's where it goes back to, like, if Vin Diesel's in control of this, this is a very weird vision for this franchise. I don't really... I guess that the problem maybe with the Fast movies is, and maybe what holds us at a little bit at a distance, is that it is working on a very specific wavelength. And people love these movies. We have a you know friend, uh, Nate, who does the Mission Impossible podcast. He showed up on our Born Ultimatum episode. He's, like, a huge Fast and Furious fan. These movies have just never really landed on my wavelength. You know, I walked out of, like, Fast Five really, really enjoying it. I enjoyed Six. I enjoyed Seven. Um, but I'm also a um, the type that they've really got to hit all the, the the right points for me to walk out really happy versus ones like this where I just kind of shrug my shoulders and go, okay, I guess I'll be seeing the next one, but I won't be remembering this one. I mean,
0: that's one of the things I struggle with, actually, because I I watched the film a week before recording this episode and I had to I had to go and read the plot to remind myself of what happened. It is entirely forgettable, including the the stunts, which is one of the things we spoke about earlier is, you know, it hangs its hat on having great stunts and set pieces. I don't think this thing has a memorable set piece. You know, you could talk about maybe the jet into space. You could talk about that giant truck that like flips over uh, which completely avoids gravity, but we mm, won't get into gravity in this film because apparently it doesn't exist anyway. Uh, how did you feel about the
1: set pieces? You see, I enjoyed them. Like, I thought the opening chase through the jungle was pretty fun. Um, I thought there was some clever action beats in there. And I thought everything to do with the, um, the kind of the, the big armored vehicle and the magnets at the end was actually a lot of fun. The space stuff, I agree with you. that The space stuff, it's too much but it's also not that much fun so i don't really care if they go to space at this point like whatever i don't care if they're driving trucks on the bottom of the ocean at this point but um the problem with space is that okay they are like cutting back and forth between this high speed chase through the streets where magnets are pulling things like crazy you know parked cars are flying all over in theory people are dying by the thousands every second of this chase um That stuff I thought was really well-staged, and Justin Lin knows how to get good action beats out of this. Like, there's really fun moments, you know, basically as you're proceeding through this whole sequence. But then you cut to space, and when you cut to space, everything goes slowly. And in a series like Fast and Furious, slow and floating doesn't really (laughs) work too well when you're cutting between those two things. I don't know, that kind of feels like Vin Diesel's energy level. Mm, I could see it because he's a guy I don't understand. Like, I don't think Vin Diesel's a bad actor. I've seen him be pretty good in things. You know, like he's good in Saving Private Ryan. That got him, you know, that's what basically launched his career. He's good in Boiler Room. I can think of some early work particularly that I thought he was actually quite strong in. I watch him in these movies and like half the time he's just kind of monotone. And the other, he's just got like a blank expression on his face. That's why, like, the Helen Mirren scene jumped out so much, because he seemed, like, genuinely, like, cheerful and happy to be in the scene. A lot of the time, he's just kind of looking mopey.
0: I noticed that. One other thing I noticed, and this this might just be my eye or the theater I saw it in, but did it feel like they were, like, airbrushing his
1: face a lot? Oh, probably. Uh, yeah, he felt
0: like his skin was too smooth.
1: I, I don't think that's a Vin Diesel-specific thing. I think they do that for a lot of actors now. But, uh, yeah, I right. mean, Vin Diesel... We actually did a post for his birthday fairly recently. He's in his, I believe, mid-50s, uh, early 50s or mid, I can't remember. But yeah, I would imagine there's some CG touch-ups going on. Because I think, um, you know, um, our friend Tyler just did a rewatch of the whole series and was n- pointing out to me that, I think it was in the last one, Fate of the Furious, they have like a, you know, data screen, and it indicates that Dom Toretto is 40. So, um, yeah, there is some touch-ups might be necessary. Okay. All right. If that's what they're leaning on, fine. I want to bring up one more
0: thing in terms of my thoughts and a, a, another issue I had. Mm-hmm. And my other issue is bringing back Sun Kang as Han. Now, I loved Han in uh, Tokyo Drift. It's, he's my favorite favorite part of that film. Apart from apart
1: from Little Bow Wow, obviously. Obviously, obviously. Yeah. But he's great in, um, you know, all of his appearances in the other movies. Hmm.
0: But bringing him back, which is you know, another one of those things that internet has been talking about for years, bring back Han and go to space. And and I worried that maybe that was something they were doing in the writer's room, which is ticking off things from the internet. But maybe we'll get into that in a minute. But I feel like it removes stakes. It's like the triple blood problem. Now death isn't a thing anymore. Do you want to just just exp- explain the triple blood thing to people that aren't Star Trek fans? You're right. I, I should preface For those who haven't seen Star Trek Into Darkness from 2013, at one point, Kirk dies. Okay, that's sad, but don't worry, because earlier in the film, Dr. McCoy injected special blood from Khan into a Tribble, which brought that Tribble back to life, proving that Khan's blood, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, basically brings people back from the dead. And so they brought Kirk back from the dead, which is insane and ruined that entire franchise in a way and now this film has
1: the same problem too you just doesn't matter there's always a way out of death that doesn't shock me though at this point because they've brought a few people back from the dead um no one can be killed in any way through these movies so I get what you're saying it also now raises a lot of questions of why we were so mad at Jason Statham's character all along um I don't really know yeah, why did he have a
0: fight with Dom Toretto when they were working on the same team for Mr. Nobody the whole time? Yeah,
1: I I, I don't know. But uh, I, I think Sung Kang, he was such a highlight of those other movies. And you look at who's kind of left in the team. And I know, like, uh, you know, that Tyrese Gibson has some real fans who love the Roman character. You know, Ludacris is fun. I think, like... Natalie Emmanuel is fun in these ep- in these movies, but they aren't as high wattage. I think Sung Kang really stood out as like an icon in the group, and I think they needed him back. The way they brought him back is, I am mean, going will put it this way: I just laughed out loud when it showed him in like a burning car, and then this like he disappears. He he like literally just disappears. I'm like. Sure, whatever. I don't I don't know. Like, I don't take any of these things at all seriously anymore, so it doesn't matter. But I also don't feel strongly. Like, that's the thing. These movies can do whatever they want, and I shoulder shrug. But even when they're trying to be meaningful, I shoulder shrug. Like, that's the thing. They've removed the ability for me to feel passionate one way or the other. But I'm fine with it because I really like seeing Sun Kang in this series. I just wish they hadn't, um, you know, made the mistake in the first place. Or it doesn't seem like they planned anything out at all. At any point in time. No. This was never going to be a a franchise. It was
0: about stealing DVDs. Yeah. Let's be honest about that. You know, that's that's fine.
1: What did you think, though, of this spy plot? Because Sung Kang ties into all of this. um, Basically, it all happens because Mr. Nobody, who uh, Kurt Russell plays, sends a video about being in distress. And it leads to a weapon that (laughs) exists in two parts that they have to recover. And there's a key. And the key is a person. Um, boy. Call it by its name. It's Project Ares, Cam. Give it its credit. True, true. And um, yeah. it's the ultimate MacGuffin. It's silly. It's ridiculous. Uh, Tyler raised a good point when it was over where he just said so this technology was so deadly that these inventors had to make the key their daughter. So why'd they invent it in the first place? <laughs>
0: Well, no, I I can I can actually fight
1: that okay. uh, point from
0: former guest of the show Tyler Orton there because, well, I mean uh, Oppenheimer made the nuclear bomb, he didn't want to kill millions of people, but he created it. But he was working for the government, wasn't he? Yes, but like he could have seen the you know the math and he had gone like actually no let's not let's not carry that for... yeah, and then he wouldn't have created the bomb. Sure, and then we wouldn't have ended the war. So you know that people create things and then they try and hide how to if they're ashamed of it they'll try and hide how to do it or make it harder to reproduce and that's making the door to the key kind of makes sense i guess (laughs) that or you've been driven insane from watching this movie (laughs) yeah that's entirely possible and i if i'm sort of summarizing my thoughts a little bit and you kind of said it earlier I'm not. You said you're not expecting anything out of this. You go for the set pieces and hoping there's a a bit of acting in there
1: while you're you're doing it.
0: You know something interesting to carry you through the film
1: and a pace. Like these movies are called Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. They should be fast and furious as opposed to fast lumbering and then end fast. <laughs> that that I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why these movies are two and a half hours. No, no, no,
0: no, no. Th- these need to be ninety minutes. Yeah. Maybe
1: I'll give you a well-paced two hours. Sure. Like I don't think there's any reason you can't do a well-paced, you know, quick and to the point two hours. Like this movie's super convoluted. It has this whole spy plot. We spend so much time with characters going off to meet other characters from you know previous movies, whether it's Helen Mirren or um, Lucas Black and Bow Wow from Tokyo Drift. Like a lot of these characters are kind of pointless, and it's really just there for exposition and to drag out the runtime. Like, you know, maybe you don't need to bring back all of these characters in this movie or just bring them together in a different way. You could be a lot quicker and to the point.
0: As as a side note, did you notice the test like compound where they were testing the rocket car was the same as the Rebel base in Force Awakens?
1: Uh in a Force in the Force Awakens? That really wouldn't have jumped out to me. The locations of the Force Awakens just aren't as iconic or memorable.
0: Or it might be it might be the last Jedi. It's where there's like these little grass mounds and there's like X-wings in between them. Okay. It might be... It actually, I think it's where um, Leia and Han see each other for the first time and they have that little hug. Okay. Uh, just an aside. I, I might even be wrong, but it looked identical to me. Um, but to, to answer your question about the spy plot, as I say, I can defend the MacGuffin, but it's all nonsense. Yeah. It's absolute nonsense. And also there's magnets involved somehow, but the whole spy plot is... This, this, this MacGuffin, this Project Ares, is... If you have it, you can control all of the world's weapons? Yes. Sure. I, I have to I have to give credit to Kurt Russell, though, for, you know, earning the easiest paycheck in, in history.
1: And I love that the whole movie's about him going missing, and then the movie ends with them being like, oh, well. <laughs> and he's still yeah. missing. <laughs> he really was nobody. <laughs> oh. <sighs> so, do you think we're going to get a CG Paul Walker in the next one? It's interesting you ask that because, I mean, at the end of the film, there is a
0: post credit scene, which Cam referenced earlier, which brings back Deckard, uh, Shaw. But there's a scene at the end where they're at the table and they're talking about family. And they're getting together and there's a a seat empty. And it's like, okay, we're waiting for Brian. And then you see that one of the classic cars from one of the first films actually turn up. And it's Brian's car. So it alludes that he's coming back. But I do not want to see the Walker family having to pretend to be their dead brother whilst they mocap his face onto them. That just seems like such a horrible thing to do to his memory.
1: I know that Justin Lin has said it's on the table. Um, It wouldn't shock me though if what we get is him appearing at the very end of the final Fast and Furious movie of this iteration. Because there will be a reboot. There will be more Fast and Furious movies in the future. But with the end of the you know, Dom Toretto, Vin Diesel saga. It wouldn't shock me if we get, you know, a CG Paul Walker wandering in at the end.
0: I mean, I could deal with him maybe like, maybe he's at the grill Mm. for the food and like he lifts it up and there's loads of smoke. Sure. So you could just cover his face with tons of smoke. It's like, oh yeah, I guess that's Brian. Sure. Hey. And that's it. That, that, that'll do for me. I, I don't like the idea of dragging people's images when they're dead. It's like the the grand Moff talking thing. I I feel like that's actually really disrespectful to the deceased people.
1: Yeah, because the actor didn't choose to give that performance. Now that said, I w- I believe 100 percent that Paul Walker would probably be making Fast and Furious movies if he could, if he was alive. But mm-hmm. again, like actors make specific choices in their performance, and you're removing that from them. Like they're not, you're not allowing them to decide how to play a moment. You're deciding for them and slapping their face on it. That is, to me, more of the issue. Well, it's just a lack
0: of consent, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which is is a a bigger issue to dive into than
0: this little review. But I I, I wouldn't want to say it to answer your question. I think it would be quite a horrible thing to do.
1: Yeah. And I will say just lastly, I am very thankful they did not bring back Scott Eastwood, who they set up in Fate of the Furious. He was sitting there at the table at the end and like... I have nothing against Scott Eastwood as a person. I'd like to think that one day they'll figure him out as an actor, but everything I've seen him in so far has been so poor. He just has had no weight whatsoever. Um, he was in Suicide Squad, apparently. <laughs> we saw that movie. Who could remember him? But yeah, uh, he left no impact in Fate of the Furious, and so the idea of him being a lead in this movie was a pretty grim prospect. I'm glad they sidestepped it.
0: Yeah, I, I do not see Scott Eastwood reappearing um i think you'll get mr nobody back as maybe the someone to save in the two-parter i think cypher will be the big bad Mm -hmm. i mean they set her up which we haven't actually spoken about charlie stood in this but she's back from fast 8 reprising her role as cypher you know i'm pretty sure doing three days of filming in a plastic box again great paycheck if you can get it sure Yeah, um, I actually found it quite interesting in in the eighth one, but this, it was just... There's nothing. They had to have an interesting
1: villain. there's nothing there, is there?
0: She's trying,
1: I think. But she's not playing a fleshed-out character. Like, Charlize Theron's, like, one of the best actresses around, and they're, like, giving her this. And, like, I don't know that she's having as much fun as Helen Mirren. Like, I feel like Helen Mirren is really having fun doing this. Charlize Theron, I don't know about this one, um... Again, if you don't give them interesting things to do, how much fun can you really have being in a, you know, in this case, being in a plastic box and then being by yourself in like a drone um, kind of thing or whatever, like a remote control um, setup. Like, hopefully when we see her in the next one, she's interacting with people, she's getting to do fun things where she's actually maybe driving a car. I don't know. Anything. I suppose to, to summarize our thoughts then, it sounds like you somewhat enjoyed it is that right i wouldn't recommend it um but i i i thought the the action scenes at the front and the back were pretty fun um but by and large it's a pretty middle of the road fast and furious movie for me i i would take some of the earlier entries over this this is yeah
0: again maybe middle of the road maybe lower middle of the road maybe it's careening off to one side i'm not sure (laughs) but i really didn't enjoy my two and a half hours i was I was bored in the cinema and I, that's the worst thing you can be when you're stuck in that room for X amount of time. And you could just walk out, of course, you're not in prison. But I was—I I had nothing to pull me into it. And I didn't enjoy the CG scenes like you did, unfortunately. I felt like they were just so weightless and there's no consequence in these films anymore because no one can die. You know, At one moment, Dom Toretto is being thrown around by John Cena now, bear in mind they're both humans. Um, John Cena throws Don Toretto through a door frame, and he smashes through the door frame like Wily e. Coyote, and leaving an imprint of his head and shoulders. I mean, surely that would just knock anyone unconscious, and they would fall down from the door frame. But no, 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 he leaves the, he leaves a little like imprint of his head and shoulders on the door. I just thought, what am I watching?
1: Well, they are cartoons, sure, and emphasis on car. <laughs> but yeah I I would say for me um, I think Fate of the Furious the last one was uh, a lesser film than this one Um, the fourth one I would put below this one but other than that uh, I don't know that there's many I would rank lower than this one so yeah
0: I I hope when we get around to tackling these down the road um, (laughs) (laughs) we we spend some time looking at how these films came to be. And maybe that'll change my appreciation for them because yeah, I I struggled with this and I, I, I had a lot of high hopes for it going into it because I do like John Cena. Right.
1: I do think the rock is sorely missed big time. I think you need bigger personalities in there. And which is a crazy thing to say in a movie with like Michelle Rodriguez, Vin Diesel, Um, these are some big personalities and like, I like that they gave, I should say like Michelle Rodriguez more to do in this movie because she pulls off the action really well. So it's always great to see that, but I think they need some bigger, more fun personalities. They've got a lot of people that kind of grumble like Vin Diesel does. Michelle Rodriguez does. Let's get some like just bigger personalities in there. And that's one thing that Dwayne Johnson brought and Jason Statham brought. And so we need a little more of that. So hopefully the next one, John Cena is actually fun as opposed to glowering the whole time. Yeah, it did have that sort of low energy feel about
0: it, didn't it? hmm yeah. It's, it's just a strange choice, but hey-ho. They've got two more films to correct themselves and, and to see off the franchise, I guess. hmm But there you go, folks. It sounds like uh, I didn't have a very good time. Cam, you know, it got him to his destination, but he maybe didn't enjoy the ride too much. Sure. <laughs> it was bumpy. Yeah, yeah. Hit the brakes! Hit the brakes on these metaphors, Scott. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) his Uber review was two stars. (laughs) So, of course, with our declassified episodes, there's no knock list. We'll get to that when we tackle the film down the road. But of course, let us know what you thought about Fast Nine on in social media, and you can find us at SpyHards. That's S P Y H A R D S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Cam, what have we got coming up next week?
1: Well, you know what? We had a lot of gruff voices. Uh, with Dom Toretto and crew. Um, We're going to have some more gruff voices on next week's episode. We're doing Taken 2, and we've got guests from the Nerd Alternative coming on, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, you know, there is one thing that Brian Mills and Dom
0: Toretto have in common, and that is it's all about family. Mm, Indeed. So there you go, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to check out Taken 2. But until next week, listeners, Remember, live your life a quarter mile at a time.
1: Vroom, vroom.